Listen, this morning before we get started, I need to um, offer an apology to all of you. And here's what it was, or here's why I'm apologizing. If you were here last week, we began our brand new series called Simply Christmas. And um, the whole idea of this series is to take away some of the, the conflict, the complicatedness that we find in all the different aspects of Christmas and just narrow it down to the Simply Christmas, the nativity story. So if you're here last week, I shared a story out of my personal life. It was about me and my wife. And I said, one of the complications that I experienced in Christmas is decorating because um, I thought when I got married that this would be this joint effort that my wife and I would always decorate together. But after about a year of marriage, I quickly realized it was her way of decorating and I was just supposed to do it her way. And so it really was a personal story in that one and just something that I shared. Um, here's why I'm apologizing. I had so many men come up to, to me afterwards and I didn't realize I kind of opened up a sensitive topic. And so many men came up to me afterwards and said, Oh my goodness, I thought I was alone in this whole thing. There's other people out there like me. And then I had so many wives come up to me afterwards and say, thank you for talking about my husband and keep praying for him because he hasn't learned it yet. So, so my apology is this. I didn't realize it was such a sensitive subject or we would have had many counselors lined up after the service to deal with some of the scars that you're going with. So just I apologize that we didn't have all the counselors ready um, for such a complicated um, topic as decorating for Christmas. But, but I can see by your smiling, by your shaking your head, by the many comments I got after last week that you agree with me that, that Christmas can be so complicated and when it comes to decorating, but there's other areas that can be, comp be complicated as well. I talked to a friend this past week, and then when they first got married and they had two or three small children, they moved off away from home. And so when they would come home for Christmas, and home for them was where both the in-laws and the outlaws lived. Both sides of the families lived there. He said they had to come up with a spreadsheet that listed 30 minutes by increments in there, whose house they were going to be at, how long they would be at that person's house, so nobody got upset about that. And I can tell some of you going, you're talking my language again. Okay, you understand the complications that I feel in all of this. But really, Christmas can be so complicated. And I am not here this month as we talk about Christmas, as we celebrate the Advent season. It is not to talk negative on some of the complications. In fact, it is things like traditions, like decorating, like visiting people that adds the joy to our Christmas season. Yet at the same time, we can get so caught up on all those things that we do lose the simplicity of the Christmas story. And so each week as we get together here, I want to just simply go back to the simplicity. Go back to that first, that first, very first Christmas and just some of the different characters and people that were involved in that first Christmas. Last week we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist who would foretell the coming of Jesus. Now today I want us to talk about one of the characters that's probably other than baby Jesus, I would say one of the most well-known characters within the whole story of Christmas. In fact, she is so well-known that I believe this, that even in Christianity, legends have grown about her and, and just grown and grown, and we may think more highly of her than even that the Scripture intended when they tell us our story. Because I'm talking about Mary, and if you go back to Scriptures in the book of Luke, there's very little we know about Larry, about Larry, about Mary. Okay, let's get our characters right here. Not Larry, but Mary in there. There's so little that we really know about Mary. So I want us to kind of drill down the Scriptures, Luke chapter 1. You can go home and read it later, but just to kind of catch you up to the story, here's what we do know scripturally about Mary. She was engaged to be married to Joseph, who was a carpenter. She was the cousin of Elizabeth that we learned about last week. And we're going to discover as we talk about the story today that she's learning that she will be the mother 
of the Messiah. But here's what the Bible says. When the angel Gabriel appeared to her, this is the famous words that he said to her. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, can you imagine being Mary? Now, the scripture doesn't tell us this, but we can guesstimate from history that she was probably 14 or 15 or 16 years old. And the reason most historians think that is because that is the age that most girls got married back in those days. So can you imagine being a, let's just call it, 15-year-old young girl, you're engaged to be married to Joseph, and you're waiting for that big wedding day, and all of a sudden you get this appearance of an angel talking to you. Now, you can imagine just the appearance of an angel, that kind of startles anybody, right? It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. It doesn't matter what's going on and the circumstances around you. But an angel appears to you, and the angel says, greetings, O favored one. And I read that, and I've often thought to myself, what, 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 what was it that made Mary the favored one? Like, had God been looking from heaven going, I'm looking for the girl that, that obeys mom and dad all the time. I'm looking for the young girl that knows the scriptures the way that, that I think she should know. What was it that when God looked down from heaven, he said, and she's the one that I'm going to use to give birth to my son Jesus when I send him to this earth? Well, here, here's what I think. It's not because of what she knew. It's not because of what she had done or what she was maybe going to do. She was favored simply because God looked down with his grace. It wasn't anything she merited. It wasn't anything that she earned. It was simply because God looked at her not with his eyes to see what she could become, but he looked at her with the eyes of simply the love in his own heart. Now, here's the good news. That as we read this story, that story that took place some 2,000 years ago, it is also the story that we can read about it ourselves. Not that God is looking to send his son Jesus again through the birth of somebody like 2,000 years ago. But here's what it means for us today. That when God looks down upon this room, when God looks upon these chairs, here's the message that he has for every single one of us. Highly favored one. Because none of us can merit what God gives us. None of us can earn what God gives us. In fact, it's the book of of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, 23 that says this, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And I think sometimes we hit this Christmas season and it is so busy with stuff. It is so busy getting the house clean for the company coming. It is so busy completing the shopping list so we can buy everybody the gift they need to. It is so busy to get all the Christmas decorations up. It is so busy to go to dinner with this person, this person. The season of Christmas becomes so busy that it's a season of do, do, do. Accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. Work, work, work. And somehow we can get in our mind, if we don't do all the right things, if we don't do all the right things, then Christmas won't be what it's supposed to. And we take this mentality on of work, work, work. But the reality is, we can't make Christmas any better than the Jesus, baby Jesus coming on this earth for us. And that's the simplicity of the message, isn't it? It's the birth of Jesus that would grow to be more than just a baby, to be more than just a young boy. He would grow to be the Savior of the world and die on the cross for our sins and be resurrected. So the rages of sin is death. But the free gift, the gift that you can't work for, the gift that you can't earn, the gift that you can't do anything to merit, the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so can I just invite us this
as we kind of step in almost into the middle of the Christmas season, on the count of three, would you just take a breath with me? One, two, three. <sighs> you know, and here's why I say do that. Because that breath lets us breathe and take in the very gift that God gave us through his son, Jesus. Oh, highly favored one of Mary. Oh, highly favored one of you and I. Now, I told you, Scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about Mary, but let me tell you some more things that historians believe about Mary. If she was to walk in this room and sit down right there, you're thinking, oh, I would recognize Mary because she probably has this halo above her head, and she's probably dressed in royalty, purple, or, or some beautiful linen, and, and we would know it's Mary walking in. No. If she walked in now, or better yet, if we transposed back to 2,000 years ago and we were just walking around the village, we probably wouldn't recognize her for anything special. Because historians think and believe she was probably coming from a very poor family. Because as a poor family, she would only think to marry into another poor family. And with Joseph being a carpenter, being a carpenter wasn't exactly the high level of, of a job. In fact, probably when Joseph went to, to Mary's father say, can I have your daughter's hand in marriage? He probably thought to himself, oh, I was hoping better than just a carpenter. I was hoping maybe some job that would give her a nicer house and nicer things than we have. And so really she was probably just a very poor girl, came from a poor family. And as the future wife of a carpenter, she would also just continue in a poor family. She had probably not experienced much life beyond right there where she was at growing up. If you saw her, her face would probably be just really brown and tan because she had worked out in the fields because that's what the poor side of the population did back in those days. In fact, as a 15-year-old girl, you might look at her going, you probably need a little bit of lotion on your face and your arms because you're just dried out from being in the sun. Just a plain, simple girl. But favor. Favor, but not, not because who she was on the outside, but favor because God saw who she was on the inside, and he graced her. And so this angel came to her and looked at her, and as he said, Hi, hello, highly favored one, he looked at her and said, and you, Mary, will give birth to the Son of Man. You, Mary, will give birth to a man by the name or a child by the name of Jesus. Now, think for a second. You're Mary. You're in that room. You're a fly on the wall watching all this happen. Can you imagine? First of all, there's this big angel that's talking to her, okay? This, this, this sight, this scene that she had not heard about because God hadn't really appeared in over 400 years, and this angel is talking to her and saying, you're going to give birth to a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. And not only would she call him Jesus, he said, he will be the son of the Most High, and I imagine that point, Mary's just kind of scratching her head going, okay, yes, I know I'm marrying Joseph. We don't know when we're going to start a family. And we hadn't even talked about names. So you're giving me the name of some child that Joseph and I are going to have. And we weren't thinking Jesus, but you're telling me Jesus. And her little 15-year-old mind is just swirling about this point. But when the angel said he will be the call the son of the most high, she probably thought to herself, now I've got a lot of nicknames that I call Joseph, but most high is not one of them. And so at that moment, she is recognizing and understanding that this very child named Jesus that she will give birth to was more than just a child that she and Joseph would have. This angel was having a conversation about something, levels of her life that she had never, ever anticipated. And then he went on to say this. He said, not only will he be the son of the Most High, he will lead the nation and rule the nation of Israel forever. At that moment, Mary's probably kind of clicking in going, let me think back to some of my history classes for a second. Let me think back to some of my Sunday school classes. Because as a young Jewish girl, she would have been taught that forever, for, not forever, for many years, hundreds of years, that her people had waited for the Messiah. 
And they knew that when the Messiah come, he would reign and rule over them like nobody ever before. Even since the time of King David, he would be the ruler. And so at this moment, while she doesn't understand all of it, something's starting to click. The dots are starting to connect. And she's going, there's more here than what I ever dreamed of because this angel is giving me this message. And about that time, the angel probably realized he's kind of low, laid out a whole lot and she's struggling a little bit. And so the angel looks at her. I'm sorry, Mary looks at the angel and she says this to him. But how can this happen? I'm, I'm just a virgin. I'm not even married yet. You're talking to me, telling me that I'm going to have a child. I don't understand. And now all of a sudden her mind's going, okay, mom and I had the talks. Okay, well, she talked about when I get married, this is what's going to happen and what to expect. And I understand all this, but how am I going to have a child when I'm not even married yet? And Gabriel, the angel, looks at her and says, this is how you're going to have the child. That the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, be a fly on the wall again. Be the 15-year-old little girl. The common little girl that all of a sudden she's seeing this angel. She's having these conversations about the Messiah being born through her, that she'll give birth to this Messiah. And now he's, she's being told, and she'll become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. At this point, you're thinking she might just say, can I just sit down and rest for a second? Okay, I know this is an important conversation, but I need to have a breath here for a second. I just need to try to take in all that you're telling me. But yet she is receiving it. And what's so interesting when she says, how can this be? Because I'm not even married yet. I'm a virgin. Here's the beauty of that statement. She was not expressing doubt. She was expressing innocence. Now, let me see if I can compare this to you. If you hear last week, we talked about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Remember when the angel Gabriel appeared to Zachariah when he was in the, in the prayer of prayer, the prayer of holy place, and he was lighting all the incense candles, and, he, and when he was told he would give birth, or not him, but his wife would give birth, and they would have a child in their old age? Do you remember what he said? How can this be? I'm an old man. So how can one minute... Or one situation, Zechariah doubts it. And when that happened, the Bible says this, that God took his voice from him. He could not speak until the child was born because of his doubt. So Zechariah is accused of doubting God. But no such accusation went to Mary when she said, how can this be? Again, I believe this. As a 15-year-old little girl, her response, how can this be, was not doubting that it could happen it was simply the innocence says, my little mind can't wrap around all of this. Do you understand what a beautiful statement that was that she made? You see, here's why I say it's a beautiful statement. You and I, unfortunately, have grown old. Not old in age, but we think old in wisdom. And so when God presents us something, if an angel is to speak, come and speak to us right now, we would take our mature aged minds and we would try to figure it out. And, but, but, but if we couldn't figure it out, we would think some more. And if we can't figure it out, we would think some more. You know why? Because we lost our innocence. That the holy God can come to us and speak his plans and thoughts into our lives. But rather than just receiving it going, God, I don't understand this, but I'll trust you anyway. We try to figure it out and understand it. And maybe, just maybe in our faith walk of every single day of the year, that we would be better off when we pray just to simply say, and God, how can this be? Not how can this be so I don't accept it, but God, I receive all of it even though I don't understand it. So maybe the greatest gift that we could receive this year other than peace that comes with a candle today 
is to restore our innocence and simply trust in God. In that moment, she looked at the angel, and she said, how can this be? And he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will give birth to this child, and he will be the ruler of all these nations of Israel forever, and he will be the Son of God. And then, in verse 37 of chapter 1, the angel makes a statement that I'd never seen in all my years of reading this story, every year at Christmas, other times throughout the Bible or throughout the year, I'd never seen this statement. But look what the angel said the last thing to Mary. He says, for the word of the Lord will never fail. For the word of the Lord will never fail. You know, we talk about peace being the candle for today, that Jesus brings us peace. This is where peace begins because the word of the Lord will never fail. Peace begins not on our part, but peace begins on God's initiation. Peace doesn't begin because we worked up enough peace and tried to figure this all out. It happens because God said it, and therefore that's true. Joe, I think about you as you take your morning walks. Peace doesn't happen because you're wrestling with God and whatever he's telling you. Peace happens because God said it. That's where the peace begins. And the word of the Lord never fails. And I think it was at this moment that Mary hears the angel and all that he's saying to her. And he hears her and, and, and she hears him and he delivers that. And the word of the Lord will never fail. And I wonder if it was this, at this moment of this, this, this complicated Christmas moment that Mary was experiencing that it became simple. Because the, Lord of the, word, the, the word of the Lord never fails. And then Mary responds to the angel in words that we've heard so many times. And she says this, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said to me come true. It's like this. It's like she was holding it all, and it was like this, this conflict, this, this, this consternation, all that was going on that was not peaceful. And she's holding on, and she's holding it all, and she hears the word of the Lord stands forever. And then she says, and I am the Lord's servant, and she releases. You see, peace begins with God, but peace continues when we let go. And I bet if we went around the room right now going, okay, what's in your life that's not causing peace? What's in your life that's causing conflict? What's making your Christmas complicated? What's making your life complicated? I'm sure everybody would say something going on. And when we would describe it, I would ask you, are you hanging on to it? And you'd probably become white knuckled going, oh, yes, I am hanging on to it till I get this thing figured out. And so the peace that you're looking for because of this complicated life, because of this complicated Christmas, the peace that you're looking for will never come when we're white-knuckled with what we have going on in our life. It's only when we take the stance of Mary to say, whatever you say, I give it to God and let him do it. It's peace that comes when we trust in fact, if you've got your note page, the one fill in the blank that I have for you this week is simply the definition of peace. And the definition of peace says this, trusting in God's love and knowing he will take care of you. Trusting in God's love and knowing he will take care of you. That is where peace really is. And I think the key expression in that whole sentence there is trusting in God's love. 
You see, there's too many times in my life that I can trust in his sovereignty, but his sovereignty, I want to like, question. Well, God, why don't you let this happen? Why don't you let this person die? How come this person got sick? How come this person lost their job? And I struggle with his sovereignty, but I forget mixed in and, and threaded within his sovereignty is his very love for me. That in God's sovereignty, he will never allow anything to happen to us that does not happen because he loves us. I'll never forget many years ago, my son was in kindergarten, and I was at work, and I got that phone call from my wife. She goes, you need to meet me at the doctor's office. Jordan's fallen at school, and he's cut his chin. I think he'll have to have stitches. So I leave work. I meet her there, and the nurses looked at me, and they said, you know, we need you to come back with him to calm him down. Mama can't come because she will not calm him down. She has to wait in the waiting room because of just the him crying, the blood, and everything. So I go back there, and I'll never forget on this particular day on work, I wore this white shirt. And so I go back into the doctor's office room where they're about to do, you know, do a few stitches on there. And that doctor that day had a white coat on. And the nurses had white scrubs on. So everybody in the room had white on. And so as we have my son on the table and just a few stitches, but he is terrified. He can't imagine. He's seen blood like he's never seen before. He saw the needle. And it's just as a little kindergartner, he can't comprehend everything. And so the doctors and nurses are literally having to hold him down on the table. Even after they deadened his chin, he's so nervous, so anxious. Life is so complicated for this kindergartner. He's just, he was just out of control. And they said, Dad, would you come over here and help us hold him down? So remember, the, the nurses have white scrubs on that day. The doctor has his white coat on, and Dad shows up in his white shirt. And then I go to put my hands on Jordan. He yells at, Daddy, take it off. Daddy, take it off. Take it off. And we're going, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he goes, take it off. Take your shirt off. And here's what I realized. I had a white shirt on. Jordan needed me to be his dad. But in this moment, his dad looked like the doctors and nurses that he was afraid was about to hurt him. He didn't need expertise. He needed the love of the father at that moment. And his little simple, innocent words, Daddy, take it off, take it off. He wasn't really asking me to take his shirt, my shirt off. He just said, Daddy, I need you to be my daddy not right now and not one of them. Because he could trust his father's love. No matter what was about to take place with a few stitches, if his father and his father's love was in that room, he had all the peace that he would need if that was there. Now, you and I don't go running around going, take it off, take it off. But I wonder sometimes our complicated life would be less complicated and we would experience more peace that Jesus brings us if we would trust the love of the Father. And so this Christmas season, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, my prayer for all of us is that we would experience peace. The peace that we can only find by trusting the love of the Father. Let's think about that love of the Father for a second. The Father sent his own son to be born in this world, a difficult, complicated world. But he loved us so much that he sent his own son to be born, but to be crucified. Because that's the love for he had for us. And so as we enter in this Christmas season, we're going, does God really love me? He loves you enough to give us the free gift of his son, Jesus, even when we don't deserve it. He loves us enough to look down upon you and call you by name and say, you are favored, highly favored, because God loves you and graces you. He loves you enough to walk with you through it all 
in spite of how we might respond to the situation, even respond to God sometimes in the things we don't like. And he goes, and I will be here with you. The peace that comes from trusting in God's love in our lives. As I think about that, then as we celebrate Christmas, it makes sense that we would celebrate Easter at the same time. Not really Easter, right? But as we celebrate the birth, it would make sense that we would celebrate the death and the resurrection as well. And so sometimes as churches are planning Christmas services, I've been in, in these seasons before, and I've been in these groups before at other churches. They're going, well, we need to not do the Lord's Supper during Christmas because we're really celebrating the birth, and, and Lord's Supper is really talking about the death, and those don't go together. Here's what I say. They go exactly together. Because Christmas, the peace that we find at Christmas, if there was no death and burial and resurrection, there would be no peace in the birth of Jesus. And so if you're here today, we're going to take a few minutes in our service now, and we're going to celebrate communion together. And, and here's what we believe, that communion is a time for all the followers of Jesus to come together. And so maybe you've come and you're here just to celebrate or, or to watch the choir, and, and we're so glad for that, and you're not a regular tender. But we still invite you that you're more than welcome to participate and celebrate communion with us because as followers of Jesus, it's a reminder for all of us, regardless of what church we go to, for that.